Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Doomer Optimism podcast. Um, I am back after a brief hiatus for the holidays. Um, I am here with Lindsay Rainey and Astrid Wild. We are going to talk um, homeschooling today. I think a lot of people are just kind of generally interested in homeschooling because they have this sense that like um, that either the education system is failing or their particular school is not local school or local school options are not a good fit for them. Um, so I thought we'd talk to these these two today to talk about basically what the experience of homeschooling is like. Um, Astrid from the perspective of a student and Lindsay from the perspective of a parent. Um, so I'm going to have them go through and introduce themselves first. Um, and then um, we can just kind of get into a discussion about, you know, what is what is homeschooling like? Um, I think I have a suspicion that their um, styles are similar but from a student and, and a parent perspective. So we'll find out. Um, I, I had Lindsay in my homeschooling 101 class as a as a instructor and everybody loved her presentation so much. Um, she does something called project based learning. So we'll get into that. But welcome, guys. I'll have Astrid go first, you know, give us a brief um intro and then i'll have Lindsay go all right hello hello everybody uh my name is astrid uh i'm a terminally online person and have been since the age of 14 (laughs) with no apologies uh but i was homeschooled my entire life uh actually uh my parents lived in idaho which at the time was the the first state in the united states uh, where homeschooling didn't have any regulations or laws about it or, or or government oversight at all, which is a big reason that they stayed in Idaho. Um, and my my experience of homeschooling was very much like structured in this the style of a going to school, but it, at home. So at the very beginning, my mom would sit sit me down for a couple hours a day at the age of like five and six. And there was a lesson plan of things that we needed to get through today. And there was an immediate feedback mechanism of like, no, you got this wrong or, oh, that's not quite right. And uh, it was very much like having a a private tutor experience, but starting from a very young age, but in a way that directly mirrored the school system. And as time went on, that changed a lot, uh, both in part because I, I got younger siblings, more and more of them as time went on. Uh, and so my mom didn't have the time to sit down with each one of us individually and go through a kind of structured lesson plan, but also because as we got older, we had the ability to take care of ourselves. Uh, and so despite the fact that it started as a very structured age of six, one-on-one, here's what we're doing today. This is the lesson plan. I decided this. By the time I was 14 to 16, it was, what do you want to learn about? What excites you? Uh, and what can I do to help facilitate that? And then by the time I was close to graduation, it was mostly self-directed learning of like, this is me positively asserting myself of being, this is what I'm excited about. This is what I want to learn. Uh, and here are the things that I want to do. What what do you think that I need to go to get from here to there? Uh, and so as that kind of went through the end, of my homeschooling experience, my focus was much more on like creative things like writing and music. And so I had private tutors for those things and everything else was very much self-directed. 
but that was my experience cool. of, uh, that I'm bringing. Awesome. All right, cool. Yeah, that's a good intro. Um, Lindsay, you want to go? Uh, yeah. Uh, my background is personally as a regular traditionally schooled child all the way up through college. And then um, I had my kids and my oldest, uh, I have two boys. My oldest went to traditional school up through third grade and I have a background as a teacher. So I was teaching actually in the school that he was attending. And um, by third grade, we had noticed that he wasn't really having his needs met um, kind of on like in homeschooling, a lot of times you run into people that are on two ends of the spectrum. Either their kids are having a really hard time in school or their kids are completely bored by school. So my oldest was one of the bored ones. He was spending the majority of his time reading entire chapter books in class because he would complete the worksheets that they were having him do very, very quickly. And it just seemed like a complete waste of time at that point. And so um, we reevaluated. I didn't really like what I was having to have kids do in my classroom as a teacher either. So I was lucky enough to be able to just pull him out of school and quit and start homeschooling. So uh, he went through third grade and my youngest has never attended traditional school. They're four years apart. And we started homeschooling and very similar to what Astrid said, I sat them down at the table every morning and we started doing curriculum. Just, you know, my background as a teacher was okay, well, if you were bored with regular school, let's just do it faster. So, okay, we'll just, we can do this. I'm going to make you so smart. We're going to go through this so quickly. And, and it was terrible. <laughs> so within about the first three months, uh, my youngest was supposedly in kindergarten at that age. And uh, he had completed all the way up through second grade, but it was every day me giving them the list of things they had to do. And we would sit down at a table and say, okay, just do this and then we can go do the fun things we want to do. We'll go to the park or we'll go to the museum or we'll, we'll, we'll go outside and play and all this stuff. And um, after those first couple months, I started realizing like, why are we, why are we spending so much time? Why am I fighting them every day? Why am I begging and pleading for them to just complete this stuff? And what are we actually completing? Is it worth it? Why are we checking all these boxes? So I started doing a bunch of reading and like most people came across Peter Gray and John Holton, what they say mirrored my experience as a teacher and my children's, well, my oldest, his experience as a student. And once you start questioning what they're learning and how they're learning it, it opens up this whole um, possibility of, well, what if it didn't look like that at all? And so um, we slowly made a transition from sitting at the table doing curriculum to, okay, you can do the math and the reading, but what if we let you do one fun project? And so they started out with that. And then it was, well, you're doing really great with this one fun project. What if we do two? And then we were like, well, you're learning math and writing while you're doing this project. So why are we doing this other stuff on the side? And so um, where we're at now is they're 100% self-directed and project-based. So they pick either a skill or a topic that they're interested in. And then we help them kind of craft a goal around that. Sometimes it's a um, product at the end, a video or um, something like that that they can share, or sometimes just for the sake of learning something. Um, so they've done everything from uh, learning how to play the guitar to a lot of um, web programming or learning to program uh, video games. Um, they both can do video editing. It's a whole bunch of stuff. And so they, as they've gone now, they're um, 18 and just about to turn 14. And um, 
they're a hundred percent self-reliant and self-directed and I'm just there to kind of see all the cool stuff that they make. Yeah, this is so cool. Okay. And then I'm going to just briefly say <clears throat> my background too, because a lot of people ask me about this. So then I can just refer back to this video instead of, um, tweeting about it all the time. Um, so I went to regular traditional school, um, always thought it was just fine. You know, I had a, I had a nice time in school. It was, and um, my school experience was, was lovely. Um, I went to a Catholic all girls high school, which was really fun. I thought, um, it was just a nice environment to be around, um, all girls. Um, I felt like very confident in that environment. And there was some things like we went on a couple of different religious retreats, which I thought were like very well structured and good for me. Um, but then when it came time to have my own kids, I was studying sociology. I was getting my PhD and like kind of through the grapevine was learning about um, like sociology of education. And I was like, oh my God, things are so bad. <laughs> things are so bad in the education system. Like, and then I was just hearing from my colleagues and like fellow grad students, just just like the trajectory things were on in the education system in the U.S., just like how much things were built around testing, how much students were are like being medicated to be able to stay in school, less and less um, recess time. And like it just looked like more and more extremely industrial. And I was like, I just don't think I want this for my kids. Like also I almost feel like in some schooling situations, you're almost like actively doing harm, even in really good schools, because it's like there's so much um, focus on doing the most and being the most competitive. Um, my husband also was a teacher and he taught at like a very high achieving school in Chicago. And the kids are all just like super anxious and stressed out because they have like all these expectations. They all have to get into high, high, high achieving schools and they have all these extracurriculars. I also nannied for a couple of families who were like this, where the kids were like, they went to the lab school at the university of Chicago and they would get home and they would have like violin and Chinese and archery. Plus they had to do their homework. I was like, this is not a way to live. Like this is not a fun childhood at all. Um, and so part of our reason we moved to Uruguay was because we just thought it might be nice to go to a place where, um, you know, schooling is like how I remember it. It was pretty nice. It was, I had fun with my friends. I, I, I loved it. It was, um, a nice place to socialize. And then, you know, um, if you wanted to learn some more than you were being taught at school, then you could, um, you know, pursue, pursue those things at home. So my kids go to this one room schoolhouse with 14 kids between the ages of six and 12, um, and one teacher and one, um, like auxiliary helper who like cooks, lunch. <laughs> um, and they all sit together at lunch and then they go and play after lunch. And um, I just want to say, like, from a sociological perspective, this was a very common model for education, this one room schoolhouse, until it sort of became a more industrial model. And now people are like interested in like Waldorf and Montessori style, and which in some ways is like a more bougie version of that original one-room schoolhouse model and I have this theory that there's like a lot of a lot of this that goes on it's like this traditional thing then it became industrial and now to re-embrace traditional there's like a bougie version of it um but anyways so my kids go to that school I have a feeling that a lot of it um is just socializing for them and then at home we do like 
some mix of homeschooling because the 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 um the school day in Uruguay is only four hours so we have like tons of free time outside of school um and we're, we're like starting to look into what Lindsay described this sort of project-based um system um and it's just been really nice and so my feeling on homeschooling is if you can get something like what my kids have where it's not going to harm them and they have a nice like friendly environment to make friends with go for it if you can't then seek out these alternatives. And then I also very much advocate like people making co-ops or finding ways to connect with other parents who are homeschooling where they can get together with, you know, people who are basically like-minded and um, would be a positive influence on life. We'll get more into that. But the other thing I, so that's my story. The other thing I like to do on the podcast is to first focus on the doom and then lean into the optimism because it's just doom or optimism. So I think maybe we could go around, uh, do a round and talk about um, the critiques of the schooling system as you see it, as it is now. Um, like for example, what is, like Lindsay, what does Peter Gray argue? Um, what is the, like, what is the problem with the school's schooling system as it is, as you see it? And then we can lean into like the different ways alternatives can look. Um, Astrid, do you want to go first or do you have thoughts on that formed? I, I'm totally fine going first. Yeah. Okay, I, go for it. Yeah. Uh for me, this is very much something that's uh this is what I, a conversation that I have recurringly in my life uh with friends uh and past lovers, future lovers of like, <laughs> how do you feel about children? <laughs> because we live in a society that very much does not value children uh, at all. Uh, they're not real legal citizens. They don't have rights in most cases. Uh, the schooling system is basically a prison <laughs> where you are trapped in a place that even has, in some places, literally has legal consequences for you leaving. Uh, so you have to be there. It's forced. It's mandatory. And the the things in which you're made to do are so menial and meaningless <laughs> that it's clear the system doesn't value the human beings in the system right there it's whether you're looking at a test score uh to try and make numbers go up or uh whether you're doing budget allocation which somehow all of the money seems to evaporate and nobody no schools ever have enough money but all of this money is being allocated to them from taxes that keeps going up and it's just disappearing into no, nobody can seem to find it the <laughs> degree to which the there's a lack of humanity um and and valuing of the persons involved is disturbing to me and so uh for me like Homeschooling is very much a priority for me in terms of if maybe I would feel different if I was in Uruguay and I saw these one these one room schoolhouses and people are playing, God forbid. <laughs> uh, but wow, that's not my experience of my friends who went to school of uh, having mm -hmm. time to play and have fun together. It was very much a no, we go to this place and we have a bond over our shared misery of going to this place and we're all trapped here together and we're organized by age which never made sense to me even uh as a kid like at the age of six to eight i had i had i considered adults friends in the same way that i considered 
people that were my own age friends. And that was never a, a psychological hangup for me. Uh, and it, but somehow all of my friends that did go to school seemed to have this weird psychological hangup where they felt awkward hanging around people that were even like two or three years older than them. Uh, and they felt like they were better than hanging out with people that were two to three years younger than them, which was, and so it almost teaches you this authoritarian mindset of like, no, I'm at this level and you're beneath me, which doesn't make sense. And then as soon as you graduate, you're expected to completely drop that. And now you should have no psychological hangups with talking and interacting with anyone. And what, what's happening there? How uh, it's befuddles me to no end. Um, let me just briefly comment on the money issue. Um, because I, um, just before we move on from it, um, that is totally my experience in U.S. schools. My husband, you know, worked for um, a high school and it, like the budgets are just astronomically big, but they're just like constantly going to like random capital improvement projects. What's so funny about my the whiplash we've had in our experience in Uruguay, the budget is so small in this tiny rural school. The parents cut the grass and like fix stuff at the school. And it's like, it's like hyper accountability. Like do not waste, we have no resources. We cannot waste anything. Like, like the, like the septic system's messed up and there's like a dad out there, like, like breaking the concrete and fixing it. It's like, and then we do these fundraisers as parents um, where we like sell burgers and beer at the local festival. And, and that's like, we make like $1,000. And that's like the budget, for, you know, like, the, and we're like, how do we spend this? Um, there's something so hyper accountable about like having less in some ways, you know? Um, so anyways, that's a, that's a huge topic, but um, something I just wanted to point out. Lindsay, what is your assessment of the doom? Well, when we decided to uh, pull them, I was stuck in the doom phase for a long time after deciding to leave, right? It's kind of hard to get out of that. And you start doing all this reading about, well, this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong, right? And having just been in it, I can attest to the fact that, yes, most of it is very, very wrong. And I would never choose to send my kids back to any kind of traditional school after being on the inside as a teacher and a parent and watching um, what my oldest um, went through and he was a great student, the perfect student, and still had a bad experience. So it's not mm -hmm. working for the kids at the top and it's not working for the kids at the bottom. And I would argue that it's not working for the ones in the middle for very many of them either. Um, a lot of it has to do with the way it's set up and uh, with competitiveness and how everyone is judged against each other. And we're doing this with five-year-olds. So they come in and you immediately start labeling them within the first three weeks of school, they start testing. And so we would sit um, kindergartners down in front of a computer and say, okay, for the next two hours, we're going to see just how smart you are. And we would have kids crying. Like it's absolutely insane. And then it just goes from there. And um, I think, uh, with as far as the budgeting, it definitely the budget is not going to the teachers. <laughs> and so, so you have all this money and time and effort and it's stressful on the teachers, it's stressful on the parents, it's stressful on the kids. And when you look at what the outcomes are, you know, you, you hear headlines every day about how few kids are at the quote standards for their grade level. So even what they're supposedly measuring with all this testing and all this um, curriculum, they're not hitting what their goals are. I would argue they shouldn't have those goals, but um, 
the the entire system set up like that is really um, aimed at making at least half the kids feel inadequate from the jump, right? You can't have the top half if you don't have the bottom half labeled as such. And um, I think seeing it uh, in real life as from a teaching perspective, it's heartbreaking to watch these kids. I taught um, first grade and then fifth grade, and it doesn't get better by fifth grade. They don't, like at that point, it's locked in um, that I'm the smart kid or I'm not, or I'm good at this, or I hate math, or I'm not good at writing. And um, it's just crazy to me that by age 11 or 12, kids um, really internalize those things based off of things that are quite arbitrary, whether or not you read this passage fast enough, whether or not um, you can write a sentence with a period at the end. I would have to take points off a first grader's test because they forgot to put a period at the end of the sentence. And then that's whether or not you're good at reading, right? Like, and so I think just in general, the entire system is set up to make the majority of kids feel pretty bad about themselves for one thing or the other, right? If you're, a lot of times, if you're good at one thing, well, then maybe you're not good in gym class, right? Like, so even if you're excelling at the um, academics, there's something else to make you feel bad about yourself because we're constantly comparing kids instead of celebrating what they are interested in or are um, enjoying participating in. Yeah, totally. Um, Yeah, my daughter's walking by singing, so I was trying to mute and unmute quickly. Um, Yeah, so um, I think I I would go so far as to say it's like, I don't know. I feel like it's pretty dire and getting worse. Um, even like any of the trends that were around when I was a kid are like just hyper now, um, where it was like a little bit of hierarchy going on, but it was still kind of like where I went was like a Chicago public neighborhood school. And it was like, it was, there wasn't a, a, a ton of that. And, and I was always like, um, towards the higher end of the pack, but not like so excelling that I was super bored. So I was like, this was fine for me. You know, I probably was the one like kind of setting the um, direction of the class and maybe the teachers like teaching to my level. So I almost had like a pretty decent experience with that. But now I feel like, like the thing that bothers me and worries me the most. And I just talked to one of my friends here in Illinois, who's got three kids in school, who's very similar um, thinking as me, but basically like couldn't not send her kids to school um, because she had to work and her husband has to work. Um, But basically, you know, the, a lot of the, she has three boys and they're like all diagnosed as something like hyperactivity disorder. But like, I'm talking, I'm talking to the kids there. They seem very normal. (laughs) Like they don't seem like they have any disorder and there's this need to like pathologize and I, I honestly feel like they're just really, truly just drugging kids up to just keep them sitting in the day. And like, that's terrifying to me to, to subject your kid to that, like, which could have long-term effects on their health and life, um, getting on, on these, like, you know, hyperactivity drugs early in life. Um, and, um, and then not to mention all the other psychological issues with like, the hierarchy, the testing, the the teacher obviously has like anxiety about the testing because they're like salary and not not necessarily salary, but like the school funding comes from the testing. So there's like it's super hyper like you're just a, a, a line on a spreadsheet as um, as a kid. And you can feel like that really trickles down into the culture. I feel like a lot. Um, 
any other doom critiques that we need to point out before we move toward the optimism that we didn't touch on? I think there's a lot of um, fear wrapped up in that too, right? Like, so especially like, it, like I was schooled in a very traditional way and, and trying to do something outside of that feels very scary. They have the, the school system has everyone convinced that if you just sit here and tolerate this till you're 18 and then through college, I promise you'll have a good life, right? You'll, you'll right. make it, you'll be great. You'll get all these prizes at the end. And so everyone sits and tolerates it. And we don't really question whether or not we should be putting our kids through that. And I think until I was actually in the classroom as the teacher and seen it from behind the scenes as an adult, you're just like, there's no secret here. They don't know the answer to how to get kids to read. They don't know the answer of getting everyone to understand math. It's all kind of this um, facade. And we, we do we put kids in this terrible situation where no one's happy. There's a reason adults wouldn't go back and sit in a fourth grade classroom. If you ask for volunteers, no one would volunteer to go do that again, right? You're done with school. I finished it. Now it's your turn, right? And so I think um, the fear of not having that certificate or graduation at the end, you're taught that, well, now you're a failure, right? If you don't tolerate this, if you don't make it through this, you're never going to be successful. And so they've wrapped up this um, horrible experience for kids with a fear of being a failure at the end if you can't make it. And so it's not that the school system is broken, according to them. It's that you failed as a child or as a young adult if you can't handle it the entire time, which seems really wrong. And you're also a failure if you don't take out enormous amounts of burdensome de debt that's not forgivable and go to in more of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, this is a this is actually a huge theme in the whole Doomer Optimism podcast, which is basically people are like having are like butting up against this cognitive dissonance of like this this like lie I've been told about how life works is like obviously not true but I don't know what to do about it or I'm like so afraid to break out of it so like the whole idea of you know stay in school and you'll get your reward in the end and the idea is like I think fundamentally if you break it down it's like you get to retire at 65 is like the reward <laughs> and then I guess like be tired and lay on a beach or is something is the idea but like so the whole time I'm just like not enjoying anything and then and then I'm I get this reward um if I just keep my head down or whatever um and a lot of people are like this is not right and but then they're like well what do I do and I think a lot of parents face that fear especially with schooling like am I making my kid an experiment you know what and do I really know what I'm doing and then there's this huge um huge trap of credentialism like I don't know because I'm not credentialed enough to know. And um, I had, this is like a very Ivan Illich point, but I had this Ivan Illich scholar on um, to talk about um, this idea. And he talks about this all the time. And basically he told this story, how these grad students, I think colleagues, maybe they were researchers, PhD levels. Anyways, a colleague died in their lab, in their lab. And they were like, oh my gosh, this is such a terrible experience. Um, let's like, let's meet together and sort of like talk about our experience of this having happened to us. And then the one colleague said, like, I think we should bring in a bereavement counselor. Like, we don't really know what we're doing in terms of like, 
<laughs> like talking to each other. And then he was saying like, you know, this is so silly. Like we're just people who had an experience together. Like we don't need a credentialed expert there to just like be able to talk to each other. Um, and there's that trap is huge. Like with, with teachers, like I just, maybe I don't know what I'm doing. Um, so may yeah, maybe we can start to lean into the optimism with that idea. And with in mind thinking that like, probably a lot of people listening to this are in that zone school maybe isn't right I like I feel like something's wrong with school but I don't even know how to like break this trap of credentialism will I be good enough to be able to do this um so what are your guys thoughts on that um who went last Astrid you go first I uh First of all, schooling is a big experiment. This whole thing, this like standardized industrial model is very new uh, and was not the case for most of history. And we're alive. We're fine. Humans are around. <laughs> we made it through. Uh, but also everybody, everybody's experience of uh, homeschooling seems to be different and changes all the time. Like every year is different. Uh, it's like, it's fine. It can be fun. The The changing because you are as somebody that's doing the quote unquote schooling uh, as the authority, if you are genuinely serving the needs of your child, you get to love on them better. Like how awesome is that? And you get to spend more time with them and better meet their needs uh, in a way incomparable to an institutional system that's not built for them. Uh, so everything is an experiment and it's fine and embrace the experiment. Everybody changes the the way that they're doing uh, what they call homeschooling throughout the process. I don't know if anybody that had started one way and then that was the way that they did it for 18 years. Like everybody starts away and goes, ah, oh, this was bad <laughs> and that's fine. And you're not going to screw up your kids if you do a thing that doesn't work for you or for them for a year. Uh and you're certainly not going to quote unquote screw them up more than putting them in a model that doesn't work for you know their entire lives. Most people, <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> Lindsay, thoughts on this? Yeah, um, I think with that, like that was our experience exactly. That we started, you know, doing school at home, and then that didn't work. So I did a whole bunch of reading, and then. Um, found like, oh, okay, well, play is good for kids, and but how do we do that, and how do we still have this assurance that they're learning, so we sprinkled in some fun stuff, and that was okay, but it seemed like it could be better, so you go do some more reading and come across um, different stuff. Uh, one of the things that really changed the way we approach this was um, MIT's Media Lab has um, this fantastic resource called Learning Creative Learning, and um they uh it's a six-part series and they've done a ton of research into how kids learn that's what blows my mind when i came across this i was like they know that this works but we're not doing this in schools at all we're literally doing the exact opposite in schools and um their research shows that um kids need uh they call it the four p's so it's projects passion um peers and play and so there's all this proof out there that if you put a group of kids together and have some adults around that are interesting and working on things, not instructing, just there to help if they need it, that kids will take interest in things they want to learn and they will um, just go on their own, that you don't need to sit them down and try to pour information into their brains um, in order for them to want to learn. And so um, we really took that and ran with it with the project base. And 
slowly then that transitioned into where we are now, where they just have 100% freedom to learn whatever they want. And watching that has been amazing. It goes from me forcing them to do everything every day to getting to watch as they grow and learn and just getting to be the one they come and show all their awesome uh, stuff to every day, which is completely different, completely different than how we started. So I think being open to that experimentation or, hey, I tried it this way, but it didn't quite seem right. So we moved to this next and this next that it's not, oh, I bought this curriculum. So now for the next 12 years, we're going to do it this way. And just being open to as your kid gets older, things change um, and their interests change in the way that they want to learn changes and what what might work for one thing um, works in a completely different way for the next time they want to learn something. And so we're just incredibly open to different ways of learning as well. And and people think that there has to be this huge time commitment because they have in their brain this model of the education system. And like you sit down and there's eight hours of structured time and like nobody, no, nobody takes the actual eight hours of structured time to learn. And if they do, it's because you're jumping around and doing two, an hour with this, an hour with this or whatever. And you can just sit down for two hours and like, hey, let's figure this one thing out or let's read a book together. And that can be school, quote unquote, school for the day. And your child isn't going to suffer for that. Like that doesn't mean that they're going, that they're behind because there's no schedule for learning anyways. Uh, And if you follow, follow with people's natural curiosity, they'll learn way faster anyways. So they'll quote unquote catch up. Uh, And yeah, it, it takes a lot of, uh, brain power to get, to get people out of the, the school box, but it's worth it. It's way worth it. Yeah. Um, I would add on the, on the, how much time it takes question. My husband as a teacher was telling me like in the classroom, so much time is dedicated to just like classroom management, meaning like just getting people to like sit still, like, this is what we're focusing on now. And then each kid, like, gets literally minutes a day of like one-on-one instruction from the teacher because they're like just saying it for the whole class. And if you can figure it out yourself, then you don't get any one-on-one instruction. But if you don't, then you you get like a couple seconds where they like redirect you. Um, Whereas with a teacher, when your parent is there with you, you know, depending on how many kids you have, um, just having like a couple hours of one-on-one time where like you actually have an adult sitting there reacting to your actual level and interests um it's like hyperspeed relative to the um the classroom you can do a lot more um i also want to make an observation i don't know if lindsay how many or either of you if this is your experience but i i have a hypothesis that a lot of people go through the following trajectory when they start homeschooling. They start with the traditional thing where they're like sitting down and trying to mimic real school. Um, then they kind of like overcorrect and go towards unschooling, which is basically like a unstructured. They're like, wait, that doesn't work. Let's just do completely unstructured and let the kids like determine where we go. And then that kind of leads them to something like a project based where you're like, okay, it's not totally unstructured. You're like focusing on a couple of different things that you're interested in. And I kind of help you with that. Um, is that, do you, do you see that at all with other parents? Is that like. That wasn't my experience. Um, but my experience was very much, uh, I was in a community of, of, of homeschoolers and we had a homeschool co-op and, uh, when we, when I first started out, it was basically, my mom was trying to one-to-one recreate and it was six hours a day. And like, this is the structure. Um, 
most of the the kids around me, that wasn't quite the case. For some of them, it was. And for some of them, that was their homeschooling experience, actually, all the way up through until like high school. Uh, For some of them, it was more of a like project based. This is where your uh, interests and experiences and um, and for like the homeschool co-op. Uh, that was also still like very much trying to recreate a traditional system. Well, but maybe the classes offered were were non-traditional. So like my okay. dad taught a computer programming class. Um, I took a, cl- a biology class from somebody that had a master's degree in biology. I took a, a, a physics class from a, of a guy that had a PhD in uh, maths. And uh, so it, I think that you can, all options are on the table, <laughs> um, yeah. but, but the people around me and, uh, and my experience wasn't necessarily we go from structure to no structure to to some happy middle. It was everybody had their own path, and some people just stuck to the school structure all the way through. Some people stuck to uh, this is what you're interested. Um, let me give you some structure all the way through, and some people stuck to the just you. I'm letting trusting my kids' intuition and following their whims all the way through. Um, and, but there was no necessarily like correlation and outcomes you, for the people that had all the structure went on to Harvard and the people that had no structure went on to, or whatever that yeah. you can't put a narrative on necessarily. Uh, it was very much the kids are, are the kids, uh, and their interests are their interests and everything else was kind of incidental. Yeah. Lindsay, any thoughts on the trajectory? question yeah so we are well we we've moved a number of times over the last like seven years and so i've been a part of of like four or five different cities homeschooling groups which has been interesting and um i would say the majority follow curriculum for the entire time has been my experience and i think a lot of that has to do with the the fear factor of if you don't, what do you do, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and if you don't, then that's a personal responsibility that you've taken on, right? Because there is no real information out there on outcomes for those kids, right? There's no reassurance for, or not on the scale of if you check all these boxes and get your high school diploma, then you get to go to college. And it's starting to change where there's now grown unschoolers or or self-directed learners who are getting into colleges. And you hear about that a lot more, more recently. But like, again, that's just kind of seems to kind of be starting to be a little bit more well-known. And um, so it's really actually has been difficult for us to find the peers part for our kids, like other kids that are doing projects for them to kind of interact with has been one of the challenges for me to try to connect them. You know, the internet has helped with that to find them some groups based on interests and that kind of thing. But um, so many people seem to be wary of going outside of the box in that way. And then Mm -hmm. um, when we were in Toronto before this, there was a huge group of unschoolers. It's very, um, very big there. And so like, it seems to be um, kind of location-based or um, community-based. So like, if you have someone who has, one of the ladies who had organized it had adult grown unschooling kids. And so you could see the proof in what she had done, right? And so then that kind of encouraged a lot of other parents like, hey, there's this other option and my kids are okay, right? And so I think a lot Mm -hmm. of that is seeing someone else do it for the first time. Like, so- Again, like reading research by Peter Gray or or the team at the Media Lab saying, hey, this is how kids can learn. Like, and there's this other option versus um, 
just sitting them down and having them work through worksheets and, and take tests, um, that takes a really big jump, like a really big jump in confidence. I think I was able to do that because I had been through the teaching half, right? So I think that gives you self Like I know what the other people are doing and I've seen the inside of that. And so being able to say, well, that's not really that big of a deal, what they're doing. So this other thing should probably be okay too. But you do see, I, I have found several other parents. Um, we used to do a monthly meetup call that whose story was very similar to ours, where we did curriculum, then we went to unschooling and then that felt too out there. And so then a lot of us circled back around like that is common. But like Astrid said, I think it's really just if you're listening to what your child wants, the stuff changes all the time. Like what you're yeah. doing and where you're meeting them at, it changes constantly. And just being open to that, um, I think is important. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's talk about the homeschooling kids are weird question. Um, I, um, maybe a fun way to talk about this might be to talk about like that, that, like maybe examples of kids you actually know either who are kids currently or who have grown, like Astrid, you've grown into an adult. Like what is the, what, what is your experience with homeschooled people? You know, um, I think just like, maybe like you were saying, Lindsay, meeting other families who have done homeschooling um, can really dispel a lot of this. Um, I also think there's, it's worth noting sociologically that like even 10 years ago, the majority of homeschooled kids were like on some edge of a distribution, you know, like highly religious or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and now it's, it's getting more mainstream to the point that it's um, uh, like, you know, it's not just niche communities who are interested in it. Um, but yeah, let's talk. Um, let's talk. Homeschooling kids are weird. Uh, Lindsay, you want to go first? Uh, sure. I have uh, two weird homeschooling kids. Uh, they, <laughs> I'm like, um, wait, wait, they're weird. That's actually good. <laughs> yeah, in a good way. Uh, weird in that they're, they're completely unique uh, in their background and their experiences compared to all other kids, right? Which I think is, a, is an amazing thing. Um, I think there's two sides to this argument, right? Like the whole, oh, they won't be socialized, I think is completely unfounded. The other side of that is sometimes if you don't work at it, you can end up um, with kids that aren't very socialized, right? Like if you're not seeking out different homeschooling groups or sports activities or um, classes at community centers or what, I mean, there's tons of stuff out there that my kids have participated in. Um, if you're not doing that, I could see how kids might end up more isolated. I mean, they're still going to the grocery store with you in the middle of the day or whatever you're doing. I've always just brought them along with me. So, um, I think there's kind of like a balance that you have to strike there. And it has been, um, it, we moved so many times. It was difficult for a while to kind of get them that friend group each time, right? Cause you move in and you have to make the connections. A lot of places, some of the homeschooling groups are kind of on the down low and you have to seek them out to find them, um, kind of thing. And so, uh, one of the things we found is like the more connected into community activities that you are, um, the broader their experience and friendships are. So my kids are friends with people of all ages, not just other kids. My oldest um, paddles on a competitive uh, canoe team and everyone else is 20 and above, 
you know, and has been like up to age 80. And so he has friendships across the spectrum with these people, goes to coffee with them after practice and has learned about all of their professions and their family histories and all these really deep, rich connections that he wouldn't have if he wasn't available at a 9 a.m. on a Tuesday. Right. Like, and so it opens up all these experiences. He's had a job since he was 15. He's actually had two different jobs. And so working in customer service, he is now currently at Starbucks and tells me all the names of his best friends that come in daily. Like, and so there's no lack of sociability there for either of them. Um, but again, it's something that we choose to help them get out there and do things like we're encouraging interests and, Hey, did you know there's this class over here or there's this, um, like community centers are a great resource for that. Like there will be an open teens basketball on Friday nights. And so my younger one went to that for a long time and made friends that way. Like, it's just like anybody else. Right. And there's no guarantee just because you're sitting in a classroom full of same age peers that anybody likes you or you like them. And that seemed like a weird way to make social connections (laughs) or call that socialized. Right. Not to mention the part where they're not supposed to talk for most of the day. So, <laughs> yeah, they have no problem making friends yeah. or connections with anyone of any age has been our experience. How dare mm-hmm. you have conversations about your life? You're supposed to be doing maths right now. What yes. do you do? <laughs> and if you keep talking, we have to sit you in a corner or go to the prince's <laughs> office and uh, get you in trouble. What? Uh, hello. Um, yeah, but okay. So my, my experience was very much as somebody growing up on, as you mentioned, uh, one of the fringes, right. My, my parents decided to homeschool me and my sisters, um, because of a religious conviction. And most of the people that I grew up with who were also homeschooled came to it from a, a, a religious minority background, uh, and a lot of them specifically moved to Idaho because there wouldn't be any state oversight and they knew that they could have the freedom to teach their kids whatever they want, which meant in some cases, those kids were literally taught fake history. Uh, in some cases, that meant those kids were uh taught books, one of which I read, which were called science books that go into uh just geology that has that is stuck in the 1970s uh, and has totally divorced from modern scientific consensus. And uh, some of those kids, quote unquote, came out weird. Uh, and but by weird, I just mean one of them uh, got every question right on the PSAT except for one question, who, which turns out then she was very adamant that she got correct and she was right. The question was worded wrong and. She got a hundred percent on uh, the standardized test score. Like that's weird <laughs> to not only get a hundred percent, but to find a mistake on the standardized test. Uh, it's probably weird that I like uh, am doing niche research in computer science and and graphics, and, but which I'm getting paid for now, and I work at a media company. And uh, how did I find my way to that? I just by following my curiosity, and and like if my experience of homeschooled kids is very much uh, they don't have the creativity snuffed out of them right away at an early age. And so they'll end up pursuing whatever they're most interested in and oftentimes get very good at it. Um, And uh, for specifically more introverted kids, if if the, the parents aren't going out of their way to give them opportunities to be around other people from a diverse set of backgrounds, somebody who's really interested in one thing and gets really excited about it to the exclusion of everything else and then isn't spending a lot of time around other people might have trouble relating. 
Uh, I haven't found very many of those people, but they do exist. And some of them have autism. And wow, crazy. <laughs> people with autism exist in the world. Uh, but I, I'm very happy to be a, a weird person that has friends who are teenagers still, even though I'm almost 30, and who has friends who are just like even recently just died, like who are in their 80s. And I like you were talking about, Lindsay, like this is very normal for me to have this huge range uh, in friendships, backgrounds uh, and ages. And it's really weird to me that everybody uh, that grows up in the schooling system is expected to only interact with people their own age uh, and only in the spe this specific context and with all these weird rules and structure and hierarchy. And I think that's weird. I know. Well, and this is the thing I'm always talking about on Doomer Optimism is like, um, people are like, well, this is so fringe. Like, what is homesteading? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you guys, like, what I'm advocating is like basically the vast majority of human history and the vast majority of the world does something like what I'm saying. But what you're saying is like something that was invented the 50 or 100 years ago that you think is like the normal. Um, so this is like the same conversation over and over again. But um, we're like, we're set up to be embedded in community. We're set up to, to be able to have relationships across age um, and difference. Like this is uh, like the full expression of our humanity. Astrid, the other thing I want to point out is my first experience with you was that I saw that you had um, like been aware of the Sam Bankman Freed thing, like way in oh. advance. Um, and I just thought like, this is so my person, this is like, so such a doomer optimist type person. Cause it's like, you're just aware of things that like, nobody else is even looking at. And then it becomes like mainstream and you're like, I've been telling you, you know what I mean? Um, and that's yeah. good. Like that's weird in a good way. Like you're interested in the world. And if you look deeply at it, you see things other people don't see. And that's like, adaptive i mean theoretically um hopefully you didn't invest too much in <laughs> no i was actively trying to discourage people from putting their money with the scammers for yeah. a yeah. long time and uh yeah yeah Paying that's attention good so that's I'm, things happening yeah it was like a very like oh i was like oh wow now. okay that's like a uh, product of homeschooling education that's like very interesting <laughs> you know this ability to to think outside the box, to be curious and creative. Um, and I think that it's like just a really important skill for the coming century. Like um, it feels like things are just so chaotic in terms of like the economy and, um, you know, just uh, various social institutions. Um, having that ability to be like, have agency and be adaptive and to like, follow your curiosity, but within the confines of like what exists in the world, I feel like is a huge um, outcome of this. Um, okay. Uh, I want to talk about one kind of boring topic before we um, finish with some fun, like day in the life, like what is the best possible, um, you know, like memory or experience you have doing this to give people an idea of like how fun it could be. Uh, the boring question is, is there like a set standard that people should be worried about um, before you can kind of blossom into the project-based thing? And I, my take on this is I do think you need like a bare minimum 
and you might need to just put your nose, your head down with your kids, bare minimum reading and math for, for a couple of years. You're like, you need to get super, you got to get super proficient at reading to be able to then obviously go on to the, um, be able to do stuff on your own. And then like some bare minimum math stuff, like we really do just have to like teach you how addition works. I don't know if you guys agree with this or not. Like, um, but I do think that there is a, like, I don't know, people worry about standards. And I feel like there is this kind of sense of like, they'll figure it out. If you're sitting and reading with them, they'll learn to read. Um, but like, just, do you have any positions on that? I almost feel like the six, seven, eight year old range is like, you really got to lay some foundations, but I don't know if you guys agree with that. Uh, Astrid, you go first. I, no, I'll let Lindsay's take this one first. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so with my experience, by the time I knew enough to switch to project-based, both of my kids were reading and writing and had done a basic level of math. And since we did it so quickly and efficiently, they were yeah. like both up through you know, my oldest went all the way up through high school, all the high school math on Khan Academy by the time he was done with like fifth or sixth grade, right? Like, and then my youngest one made it up through about eighth grade before we got bored with that. So they both have like a basic understanding of algebra, right? Like, so I don't, I can't really speak to if that would have happened naturally, but I think the one misconception with like self-directed is that there is no instruction or like a lot of the comments I'll see on a self-directed education thread is, oh, so they're just going to discover linear algebra for themselves. Like, no, you have things like Khan Academy. If you're interested in math, you can go learn math. And that doesn't mean you sit down and try to figure out how um, quadratic equations work on your own, right? Like, so you're not reinventing the wheel just because you're self-directed. You're finding the resources that you're interested in to do the things that you want to learn how to do. And so um, it's not like taking a project-based approach young at a younger age, I think they would have picked up on a lot of it. So like I said, like when we started this approach, I noticed the fun project that they were doing ended up teaching them way more than the curriculum little worksheets they were still doing on the side it took me a long time to let go of Khan Academy because you know oh math you have to learn math and how will they learn math but um now my my 14 year old is getting into unity and uh blender and so the the stuff he's picking up math and physics wise from that is incredible right like and it's not a structured thing but he will tell me about his projects and he is talking you know there's programming involved in him following all that logic he has no problem and he hasn't done structured math for probably the last four years at this point right like and so even though it's not like this organized thing, he is definitely understanding every single thing in this very advanced, like you usually do a lot of that stuff in college, what he's currently working on and he, he's handling it no problem. So I think as far as like the reading goes, um, my youngest one has shown me a lot that there there is no forcing someone to learn something. <laughs> my older one was the perfect listener who would do whatever you asked. And they, my youngest is just the completely opposite. And so teaching him to read at five and six was um, a very difficult task that was not very fun for either of us. And it got to the point where 
was ready to give up and he loved Calvin and Hobbes. He shares, I think Calvin is like his, <laughs> like it's him and animal. So yeah. uh, he loved those books when he was that age and we would read them coming at the whole set and he would ask us, read it, read it, read it, read it. And we read it to him a thousand times and his older brother was reading at that age, right? And so he would make him read it every night. And then the older one got tired and he's like, I'm not reading you that anymore, you know? <laughs> and so he sat down and learned to read because he wanted to be able to read Calvin and Hobbes himself. And so you hear these stories of, oh, they'll teach themselves. It's not really teach themselves. Like I read aloud to them continually. You know, we worked on sight words occasionally when he would cooperate, but it wasn't a structured, you know, we're going to do this for an hour every day. And, and then just one day he just, he knew how to do it. So I'm not really sure how I feel about the totally unstructured at, at that younger age, but my experience with them as they've gotten older is that so much of it works itself out. Like, and, and there isn't this one magical set of skills that you just have to have, right, in order to be able to do things. And that as they try harder and harder things, those pieces that they might be missing because we didn't do it in the exact right order, they pick up in no time when they need to use it for what they want to do. Yeah, I think I think the the idea that you can teach that you you can and have to teach people a specific thing at a specific age is made up. It's not real. If somebody doesn't want to learn something, if somebody has no genuine interest or motivation to learn something, you can't teach them. It doesn't matter what age they are. Uh, and I think people need to let go of this idea that like, oh, if your kid's not reading by the age of six or eight or nine or whatever it is, then that means you failed in some way. Like, mm-hmm. where, that's that's not real. They just haven't come up with a good reason. Nothing's excited them enough, right? With the Calvin and Hobbes example, some, nothing's excited them enough yet that they've felt the need to learn this thing. Uh, language is the same kind of way, right? You could, people, people learn languages because they have to, they don't, they don't learn as a rule. They don't learn languages because they want to. If you're living in a place where nobody speaks the language, you just start learning the language because you have to communicate with the other people. And if you're interested in a thing and your only way of figuring out the thing is through reading, then you're going to figure out how to read. Um, and the degrees of involvement that as a parent um, or as a teacher that you have in that, uh, like your role is to facilitate that thing that they're excited about, I think. Uh, and so like for me, I was learning math at a young age, because, but I also went through this structured thing. But there was a period of time for like four years where I hated it. <laughs> I hated the structured math learning thing. And I was, I didn't put forth any effort into it. I was still doing the thing and checking the box, uh, but I didn't. I didn't learn anything, and it wasn't until I got into uh, building synthesizers that I had to suddenly learn electrical engineering and trigonometry. <laughs> that I was like, "Oh wow, okay, this math thing is really cool." Uh, mm-hmm. And then later, now now I'm using that the same kind of math to build like physics engines and doing computer graphics stuff and and building things and uh, three dimensions for augmented reality, like. And other people are like, where did you learn this math? And I'm like, oh, I taught this to myself, building synthesizers, like as a teenager. What? <laughs> uh, people, le- people learn what they have to to get where they want to be. And uh, you can't force anybody to learn anything, right? You, Lindsay brought it up earlier. People are not an empty bucket that you can pour knowledge into. Uh, and people people learn at their own pace. Uh, you can't you can't force somebody to do something if they're unwilling. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? I read this, um, 
this paper um, about kids learning um, reading. And I think it was out of Denmark or one of those um, Northern European countries where they have like pretty good education system. And they um, found that previous to seven, if you like force the reading learning, um, their like lifelong reading habits are worse than if post seven, you have like more structured um, like reading lessons or something like that. So I think it just basically comes down to like stop when you force people, when you force kids, then it becomes this like negative association as opposed to facilitating the already existing interest. Mm. Um, okay. The, so let's go on to like so the very fun, um, like describe what it's actually like. And I would say, Lindsay, your description in the homeschooling 101 class was so inspiring. Um, like just thinking about what your kids are doing. And we've talked a little bit about it already, like the the canoeing um team, like that's so cool, like and weird, but in a good way. Um, yeah, like what is it actually like? Um, and to just to get people like excited and and jazzed up about like, you know, what could be on the other side of this for them if they did decide to end up homeschooling whoever wants to go first i i think my fondest memories of uh of growing up are all involved around quote unquote schooling which people are like what uh and because it didn't feel like school like i mm-hmm. i i remember even like some of my youngest earliest memories are of curling up in my mom's bed and her reading books like strawberry girl or anne of green gables uh mm-hmm. and in her mind, that was school. In my mind, that was just, I loved being around my mom and hearing these stories uh, and her reading to me. Um, and then getting older, going uh, on adventures, like getting to go to the Grand Canyon with a, a tour guide who's a geologist. Like, that was a fantastic experience that I just like, I loved so much. And even if I can't point to a thing that I learned at that experience, like that's a a fond memory that I have. There's no like emotional hangup of this was a field trip or there wasn't a project or, or there wasn't a, um, there wasn't a test that I had to take on the thing. This was just Mm -hmm. a one, an incredible experience that I got to have as a kid, um, that you could meaningfully put into a school bucket or you could not, whatever, either way, that was just my experience growing up, uh, with other people. And I, that was wonderful. I love it. (laughs) I wouldn't have, I I feel incredibly blessed and lucky that that was my experience. Um, Mm -hmm. And that I got to have like that relationship uh, with my mom in a way that a lot of kids just don't get to. Mm -hmm. Lindsay? Um, Yeah. So I can give you kind of like a, a day in the life for my kids for where we're at now. Um, They always have two to three kind of big things going on. It, it kind of depends. One that's um, staple for both of them is they're both involved in, well, the older one's canoeing, the younger one's kayaking competitively. And so um, what Ashley was referring to is this last summer, my oldest one qualified for the Canadian national team. Um, and so we all got to go to London uh, and we parlayed that into a three-week uh, European adventure across Belgium and Germany and Austria, which was amazing. But so he does that almost every day for at least a couple hours, usually starting at 5.30 in the morning. And he goes out and paddles. And then um, 
with a whole group of adults. He's the only one who's not an adult right now on the team. Um, so that's been an amazing experience for him. That's year round and a huge time commitment. Um, and then uh, he'll come back and either he goes to work. He works usually between 20 and 30 hours a week. Um, or he's working on his projects. So right now he's decided he's really into web development. That's what he's trying to do is be a full stack developer. And so um, he's been taking courses like Harvard CS50 and he was part of a boot camp. and now he's applying to jobs and he just um, this last weekend got his first uh, remote internship. So he's all excited. And so now he is learning a whole new software package in order to start that up. And he's just completely handles it all on his own, right? Like, so he set up the interviews and um, had to do all of that on on his own and now is uh, interacting with all these um, business people to do this entire um, uh, job kind of thing. And so uh, his day is usually about six hours on his computer doing some kind of programming. So he goes outside, then does all of his work and then goes to work, work, right? And then for the 14 year old, well, he's just about to turn 14. He um, does the same thing, has either practice in the morning or practice in the afternoon. And then his two big things this year have been um, doing digital artwork. And then um, he's always been into uh, computer games. So what started, what everybody's always so scared of is, oh, they'll just play computer games. But his love of games has gone from playing to um, learning uh, with Game Maker Studio 2 that got him into programming and then pixel art. So for six months, he did nothing but pixel art, which was quite incredible to watch and then animated pixel art. And then the programming switched um, into making complete games with his art. He's done um, uh uh, game jams where they have like 24 or 48 hours to make a complete game and like the one that he really enjoyed was 24 hours and he comes in and he goes is it okay if I do it I need to stay up all night and we're like okay so he literally <laughs> had to start at eight in the morning and went to the next day at eight in the morning right so he was so excited and he literally sat and programmed a game from start to finish for 24 hours as a as a 13 year old right and 600 and something people had signed up for it I think they had 200 and something people actually finish. He was one of those. And then out of all of those, I think he would, he, they rank each other. He'd go play everybody else's games and then vote. So all the creators get to vote. Then he was 46 out of all the games. And it's like one of his proudest accomplishments was to do this complete thing. Right. And it just shows like when they have an interest in something, the lengths they will go to. And I mean, 24 hours of really, really hard, intense work. Right. And then um, his newest thing is learning Unity. And then Unity has transitioned him over into Blender because he wanted to be able to make his own models. So now he spends most of his day either digitally drawing or coding in Unity or designing models in Blender for the entire day. And it's just, he's self-sufficient. Like, I don't have to say, oh, did you do your three hours of whatever today so we could check that off? Like, usually I have to say like, hey, did you eat lunch? Like, you know, like, are you going to come out of there and like go do something? But like, it's just this really nice balance between they go outside and have their whole friend group with the paddling. And then they have this intense learning that they're doing. That's something they're incredibly interested in that I just, I don't have to force anything at all. And it's been really, really amazing. That's so cool. And you know what? It takes like such an incredible amount of trust as a parent to, to like let that happen. And I think um, one thing I'm just learning as an adult is like 
how much better life is when you're able to just like ride the waves of interest that you have throughout life and and the you know the the lulls of interest where you're like I'm just like in a in like a wintry phase where I like just need to like reassess and I feel like we go through those waves all the time as humans and um like just being able to trust that and not being in this like regimented schedule where you have to do x y and z like obviously you know you have to go to work and and somehow make money and make a living or whatever but um just like yeah having the like trust in yourself and your own instincts is like a a skill you have to hone after being in this like more standardized system um and so you're kind of setting your kids up for like a very nice uh you know i don't know skill set in life to be able to like pursue their own curiosity and know how to do that because it's not just like i have a curiosity i don't know what's out there um but also like figuring out how to navigate what resources are out there how does this fit into like my incentives for life like can i make money doing this or if i'm not interested in making money doing this how can i make money otherwise and balance my time to do this thing um yeah any final thoughts on on those questions so with what you just said, when we made the switch from, okay, we're going to do school at home to what else could this look like? One of the things my husband and I talked about was, well, what do we actually want them to get out of this time? Like we have them till they're adults here at some point, and then they're going to be ready to leave. And what do we want to do with that time? And our whole thing is very similar to what you said. We wanted them to be interested in things, like to actually care. Everyone says they want their kids to have a love of learning, but what a lot of adults mean is I want you to do good at school. So it's not my problem, right? That's yeah. not really a love of learning. That's <laughs> I'm, I'm good at compliance. And so yeah. if you really want them to love learning. You have to be okay with what that looks like and also what it is that they're interested in. And, um, then we wanted them to be able to find the resources to either learn that skill if it was a skill they wanted to have or learn about that thing if they were just interested in a topic and then also be able to follow through. So like if it gets a little hard or confusing, can you work through that? And so that was kind of mm -hmm. has been our kind of three big um, like guiding principles for their education at this point. And then um, that's been a process like it wasn't just like one day we woke up and then they could all just go do their project and I didn't have to help at all and they just mastered it immediately it was a very long process over about two years we used a little point system where we traded time for points where it was oh you can play games for this long if you do this amount of time and then we slowly realized that they weren't even they always had an excess of points because they got so interested in what they wanted to do that then the the prize wasn't really the prize the actual work of what they were doing and what they were learning became the point of their time right and it wasn't like oh this is my fun time and this is my learning time that wasn't very fun right and it's a huge transition from these are the things I have to do to these are the things I get to do every day. And so both of them look at, I get to go make a website. I get to go build this character um, for my video game. And so that was a huge switch. And watching that is very confidence building in what we're doing is working, right? You see them take a deep interest in a number of different things. They have no problem interacting with the people that they come across, um, and they just are growing into these really competent humans and they're very, very happy. Like you just see it, like imagine if you could just wake up every day and go learn or, or do whatever you are currently interested in. And I think that is a huge switch for us that has been um, 
really amazing to watch. And when you come from traditional schooling background, you think like that can't possibly work. And then you see it and you're just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we didn't do this sooner. Like, and then I just want to tell everybody, hey, did you know you can just like let them go crazy about Pokemon for three months and you'll be amazed what they'll take out of it. Oh my God, I know. It's like so terrifying as a parent. Like, oh my God, they're just, all they're doing is Pokemon. Like, oh my God, they're never going to grow out of this Pokemon phase. But the same thing is true when they're little and they're like, want to come into your bed at night. It's like, okay, you know, they're not going to do this at 35 probably. So I can look <laughs> relax. <laughs> like they do grow out of it. And that's like one of the scary things is you just think like, oh my gosh, like what, you know, what if this is a, a sign of arrested development or something, but it's not actually, it's just a phase that they're in, that they're interested in. And then like, just letting that go is, is a gift. I think, um, Astrid, any points on this? I don't have anything to add. I think I, I, I just want to say, because your kids are seem to be interested in the games art and programming. They're like, feel free to, to use me as a resource. Cause I, Excellent. that's what I do for a living. Uh, Very cool. So I, um, I, I, I understand gonna... the excitement about, about games and, and art and uh, cause I share it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I would also um, make two plugs. One is I do think it is, worthwhile to think of the internet as a resource for so many different things. Um, You get on Twitter if you're really interested in these topics like homeschooling and you don't really know where to start. You can find Lindsay and me and tag me and I can tag other people on Twitter um, who will give you resources um, and insights about like, you know, how to find things because not every parent knows these different worlds that maybe their kids are interested in. Um, and I think it's like just a really potentially powerful tool to find the other people who are interested and have already thought through a lot of this stuff. Um, another plug I will make is for the Luddites who aren't necessarily interested in gaming or programming. <laughs> there are like, other things your kids can do too. If you're trying to wrap your head around this, we had um, Roxanne Ahern, in the homeschooling 101 class she's happy holistic homestead on twitter and she basically does like a homesteading style homeschooling for her she's got five girls and um does something called charlotte mason um for her homeschooling and it's like slightly more biblical based but also like handicrafts and baking and home economics and gardening and all that kind of stuff um, you know, I'm thinking about like craft work and skilled trades and all that kind of thing. Um, just another, just to throw it out there that obviously these other things exist too, to, if you're trying to wrap your head around it. Um, okay. So wrapping up, let's just do one final round of takeaways for the audience. A lot of people, I think of, I, I tend to think of our audience as people who are like, you know, the early adopters and then there's like, or like the super early adopters, they're like the next one over um, who are like, they're like, um, you know, closer to the general population, but like trying to wrap their head around what like an alternative might look like. Any final thoughts or takeaways for for this uh, segment of the population who's thinking about homeschooling? First of all, talk to somebody that you know that's homeschooling. Like odds are that you know somebody that's homeschooling or that already went through the process or that is going through the process of homeschooling. Uh, there's so many people that are homeschooling now that it's pretty much impossible to live somewhere where you're the only person that's even thinking about it. Uh, homeschool co-ops are ubiquitous in literally every city 
uh, at least in the US uh, and the UK. Um, so don't underestimate the resource that is other people uh, and just about everybody is going to be thrilled to help you uh, along the way. Like you're not on an island. <laughs> you don't have to be, you don't have to tackle it alone. So use use the people that have gone before you as a resource. Yeah. Lindsay? Um, I would just remind everyone that uh, the wonderful part of homeschooling is that it doesn't have to look like anyone else's homeschooling or anyone else's school. And it doesn't even look the same for the two of my kids. It's incredibly different for the two of them. And that um, you can stop with the comparisons and just do really listen to what your kid is saying that they're interested in or saying that they need at that time and then do your best to try to meet those needs, whether that's sometimes enrolling them in a class or getting them a tutor. It's not, oh, I'm married to, I'm an unschooler, so I can't have you take a class. Like, be adaptable, be willing to change your thoughts. It's not one one size fits all in that. Um, definitely, as Astrid said, like the internet is an amazing resource. There's so many people that I've introduced my kids to through Twitter or forums online where they have just made amazing connections and adults want to help kids that are interested. And that is an amazing resource that we found. And um, there's just so much out there that can help them to learn and it's at their fingertips and the majority of it's free. And so it's really, really easy to give your kids these amazing learning experiences um, across the spectrum, whether it's gaming or holistic homesteading, there is um, a resource out there that can help them follow that interest. And it's just really awesome to see where they take things. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll just end by saying like, we're the thing that I keep saying, I think over and over again on this podcast is that we're in this like crazy Renaissance period where things are like, simultaneously psychotically breaking down which forces people out of them and then you're like kind of trying to figure out what what to do with your potential freedom and there's so many resources out there but it's just a matter of like um like first stepping into your power knowing you can do stuff like having the confidence but then also like yeah just i guess honing those resources it's almost like we have so much data out there you don't really know where to start so I would, I would follow up with what Astrid said, like finding a, like a mentor, or I think a lot of people who follow us on Twitter think of us as like a, like a clearinghouse. Like I've already looked through a lot of this information, you know, so I'm giving you the outcome of like the, what I think is the best out there on, you know, regenerative agriculture or something like that. Um, so finding a mentor who's like interested in your same area or other fellow homeschooling parents who might like walk you through the process. Um, I think a lot of people who have gone through all of that, like want to evangelize, like want to help you through, they've already done such a, so much of the hard work, like they want to help you make the best choices. So, um, yeah, people as resources for sure. Um, okay. This was such a great conversation. This, thank you both so much for coming on. I think this will be extremely helpful um, to people. And um, yeah, well, uh, if you have any resources, send them to me and I'll put them in the show notes that you for sure want um, people to, to access. And then I'll just put both of your Twitter handles so that people can reach you. But um, thanks. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. It was yep, a pleasure. Thanks. Oh,